morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from the top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto Gonzo, also known as Super G, is in the building and a renowned educator and interviewer within the crypto community and an honorary member of our 3T family. Tony Edward is in the building, so I'm very excited for today's episode. Today in Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Ripple CEO is calling out SEC Chair Gary Gensler for shameful behavior after the FTX collapse, while Sam Bankman-Fried has officially signed extradition papers, bringing this modern-day Madoff back to the United States. This is preparing the world of payments for digital transformation, announcing a new auto pay feature built on Ethereum. As Ripple and MoneyGram rekindle a forgotten flame, now launching a new remittance service in Brazil. The Bill Gates Foundation draws a new connection to Ripple XRP, showing this crypto company could become as influential as MasterCard in the payment sector. And with the bear market in full effect, we ask our special guests to break down the details, preparing our listeners for the bull run of a lifetime. Our show was available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Johnny Crypto, when I found that Bill Gates news this morning, I was pretty excited. But how are you feeling, my friend? Thank you for being here. Well, first of all, I wake up every day, and as long as that happens, I'm always excited for that. So good morning to our Warrior Maniacs out there. I love you guys. Appreciate you guys for showing up every day. I'm super excited today because we got my man, Tony Edward, in the house. I can't wait to hop into it and get started. Good to see you too, Gonzo. Good morning, always with that beautiful George Clooney hair. Looks fantastic every day. Abs, good to see you too. Let's get rolling, baby. Can't wait to hop into it. Awesome. Thank you, Johnny Crypto. And Gonzo, you're going to be excited for today's episode as we got some breaking news around Ethereum. Smart contracts coming to Visa. Really, really exciting. But before we get into that, how are you feeling, my friend? Thank you for being here. I'm feeling good, man. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being here with us. As always, we know your time is valuable. Uh, just super excited to be here with Tony. Definitely check out his YouTube channel. It's full of like impactful um, educational content and then just really good interviews. We could talk about this, but he did a, a really good interview with Congressman Heizinga. I, I want to make sure I, I pronounced that right. But uh, it was really, really insightful and I learned a lot. We can talk about it. Awesome, man. I'm excited to dive into it, Tony. Always excited to have you in the building. And with the news that we've got prepared for today, it's a great day to be on GMC, my friend. So thank you for being here. And how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. It's always great to be here with you guys. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about the topics that we got lined up. Awesome. And we're going to start this show off the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. You get access to every single member of our team. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin fear and greed index is in moderate fear this morning, Johnny Crypto, sitting at a 26. I don't think it's worth addressing because we've only got one daily mover and she is massive. HNT up 30% on the day. When we check out the total coin market cap, we are sitting at 810 billion in total market cap this morning. Bitcoin is 40% dominance. Ethereum is about 18%. Bitcoin is sitting at 16,800. Ethereum is 1,200. XRP is 34 cents. Cardano is a quarter. Chainlink is $6. And Quant Network as 105 this morning. Tony, I want to get some thoughts from you about the bear market before we dive into our articles for today. I know you've been in this market for quite a while. So is there anything that sticks out to you about 2022 as opposed to the 2017 bear market? Oh, man, this year was brutal. Um, look, there's been bear markets before. There have been collapses before Mount Gox, the ICO bubble pop in 2018. 
But this year was hit after hit after hit. Uh, Bitcoin in the crypto market took a lot of punches because you had Celsius, Voyager, um, uh, Terra Luna, uh, obviously FTX, and just a lot of mainstream coverage of how crypto is dead and it's never coming back. It's going to zero. But I think I'm so bullish on the market because we should, if, if you think about all the things that happen, the price of Bitcoin should probably be down to 5,000. Right now we're at 16. Prices are still holding steady. So the stress tests uh, on the crypto market are only making it stronger over the years. So uh, still bullish and just waiting for this bottoming out to happen. And Johnny Crypto, I got to get your thoughts on this adoption curve before we get into our episode today. If it was the adoption of the internet, we're sitting in 1998, my friend. Why don't you just speak a little to it and then we'll dive into our articles. Well, like I always like to say, don't be Johnny Crypto in 1997. <laughs> As I bought Amazon at 17 and I think I sold it at 27 thinking I was the smartest investor in the world. And that damn son bitch went all the way up to 3300. So here's the lesson. See this curve? We are in the beginning. It's extremely early, early. Hold on to your shit. Have an exit plan. Get Merlin when it comes up. Know when to sell. Keep some of your bags. Bring them to the future because we're so damn early. And I know I sound like a broken record. We're so damn early. It feels late. And that's a problem for us who have been in this space for a long time, a couple years. But don't get discouraged. We are at the beginning of something that's going to go like this. And if you have the patience, when it goes like this, then you're going to be getting your own private plane and go like that. And if you don't have your own private plane, Johnny Crypto will pick you up. But we got 167 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Tony, we're going to start this show off with a little bit of XRP news as the critics have been out and about, and especially on the mainstream media. We have people like Jim Cramer, Michael Saylor, and Charles Hotskinson taking shots at XRP. Well, now you can add Vitalik Buterin to that list. As Vitalik Buterin says, XRP is completely centralized and Ripple CTO David Schwartz reacts by saying Vitalik still doesn't understand cryptocurrency after over a decade in this market. Tony, I'd love to get some thoughts from you before we dive into some hard evidence. Why do you believe so many people are coming out and criticizing XRP here in December of 2022? I smell fear. And I say that being here for a long time. Look, XRP is not even competing with Ethereum on market capitalists right now, like it was, let's say, in 2018, 2019, where they were bouncing from one to two, right? They were both uh, uh, in competition from number two. So the fact that these uh, Bitcoin maximalists, Michael Saylor and Vitalik and Ethereum maximalists, if you want to call them that, are coming out and talking about XRP for no reason. You know, it's kind of like they say these things unprompted. It shows that they... I think they see what's on the horizon, and that is Ripple uh, having a victory, XRP being relisted, and it's going to be uh, vying for that number two, even possibly number one spot. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but we've seen it historically. And with the momentum that XRP is going to have with re relisting and uh, Ripple winning and them being able to execute on partnerships within the US, I think they're worried about that. I think that's where the, the root of, of this FUD and the constant commentary, negative commentary is coming from. And what's interesting to me is I'm wondering if we're going to see a situation where the SEC un, maybe unprompted, but creates regulations specifically around XRP and those type of assets. And that's why you have people like Cardano's founder and obviously Ethereum's founder here criticizing XRP, because if they are put in a, in a position where they have a regulatory advantage, similar to what Ethereum has today, that would piss off the rest of the industry. And I think that's why Cardano's founder is making some bold statements Gonzo, before we get into our news for today, what do you think about Ethereum's founder calling by calling XRP a completely centralized blockchain? 
Yeah, I mentioned it on Monday. Uh, it was the interview with Bankless that he made. It was like an off-the-cuff comment where he said that XRP was centralized, and I, and I mentioned it. And, uh, you know, of course, he's going to say things like that, like what Tony was commenting on, like the Bitcoin maxis, they're incentivized, right, to, to speak about Bitcoin and for everything else to be eradicated. That's why they support Gary Gensler, right? So Vitalik is incentivized to just promote his product and say that everything else or that XRP um, is centralized because um, – while they're not direct competitors as a payment system, um, it, it is going to invade in its total market cap, right? You're going to get people that are going to go and invest in XRP instead of Ethereum. But the way I look at it is I'm invested in both, right? Like regardless of whatever Vitalik brings up or gets beef with the XRP army, it doesn't change my investment thesis. Uh, and I'm going to just stick to my plan. Johnny, you know, before I get your comments here, I want to make a quick point. When the, we had this price run back in 2017 and the price of XRP went from a fraction of a penny to $3.80 over a 240-day period, we were not listed on any major exchanges. And I think that's a really important detail because if what Tony says comes to fruition, if this lawsuit ends and somehow, some way, the exchanges begin buying up XRP, I can only imagine the bullish momentum we would get. And hopefully, we would approach those all-time high levels. But floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because we're not in a bear market now. We're in a, well, I mean, sorry, we're not in a bull market. We're in a bear market. And so there's a lot of, when you're in a bull market, there's a lot of um, extra liquidity flying around, a lot of leverage happening. And that helps drive the price up. You know, everybody called me crazy when I said we might only see 70 cents to a dollar, you know, after the lawsuit. Well, if you think about it, it was about 70, 80 cents before the lawsuit. So, you know, will it go beyond that? Maybe, you know, people say I'm nuts. That's fine. Make fun of me all you want. The reality is the leverage and the liquidity that's out there in a bear in a bull market is not going to be there in a bear market. So will we see a monster euphoric pump? I don't know. I'm curious myself to see whether we will or won't. Um, I'd like to, you know, a lot of people in our poll showed that they thought it would go three to ten dollars in a bear in a bull market. I would absolutely agree with that in a bear market. I don't know. This will be a great test. You know, I'm an engineer. I love seeing tests. This will be really, really interesting to see how much elasticity is in this price without all that leverage and free money floating around that's typically out there. So um, it will be a really, really interesting thing. And just to, really, to go back to everybody picking on XRP, you know what? I think Tony nailed it right on the head. They're all fearful of it, you know, because of its, its use cases and what it can solve. And it's kind of like what Mark Yusko always says when we talk about first, they ignore you. Then they make fun of you. And right now they're in the make fun of you stage of XRP. Then they fight you. That's going to happen next after XRP wins the case or settlement's done. And then eventually they'll join them. So I just think we're in the phase two right now. Of, then they make fun of you phase. And that's where we are right now in XRP. Tony, before we dive into some of our news about Ethereum, I wanted to get your comments on this price chart here. Everybody's anticipating a resolution of this lawsuit in the next three or four months after Brad Garlinghouse made those bold statements in October. He believes during the first two quarters of 2023, we are going to get a resolution in Ripple against the SEC. And the point I wanted to make is, isn't it better at this point, the longer the lawsuit is drawn out and the more bullish momentum we get within the market, if we get a resolution in late 2023, it could actually be much better than during those first two quarters because where we'll be in the bear market cycle. If you could just speak to that a little bit and then we'll dive into our Visa article. Yeah, absolutely. And as Johnny said, there's not going to be as much liquidity and uh, leverage behind any type of price movement. Um, what I'm personally looking at on the charts is similar to what we saw in 2019 to happen in 2023. And that is a relief rally. Um, it's not to new all-time highs, but could it dovetail with the ripple conclusion of, of that lawsuit and send the price up? 
maybe not to new all-time highs, but at least we see a nice pump. And But the point is, it will be relisted on the other exchanges. More liquidity will come in, and that will put a position us for 2024. Bitcoin having the bullish momentum starts again, and uh, that's when I think in the next cycle uh, we could see uh, new all-time highs. So right now, you're probably not going to see too much fireworks. Yes, there's going to be probably an initial pump, but not to new all-time highs. 100% exactly agree with you, Tony. I think we'll get maybe somewhere in that, you know, mid. maybe we break up into the dollar range a little bit over. But I think what will be interesting for me, what I'm looking for is once we pump up and we come back down, I think that's the key. Like now we're sitting around an average base of around 30 cents, 35, somewhere in that zone 40. I think that low level is going to reset. And I think that's where we may see a base of maybe 60, 75, 80 cents ish, you know, as you just said. And then that will be our level as we go into the next bear market. And then we platoon from there. And that's maybe where, you know, if you look at a 4.26 extension off of that, I think that brings you somewhere in the 10 to $12 range. So that's what I'm excited for. And that's what I'm kind of thinking too. So I'm right there with you. And people often ask, how are we going to get this bullish momentum in 2025? Well, Tony, we may have gotten an answer this week as the BIS greenlights that banks are going to be able to allocate 1% to 2% of their tier one capital into the cryptocurrency market. And when we did the math, we found some pretty great numbers. JP Morgan will be able to allocate up to $2.6 billion. Citadel would be about $280 million. And I'm sure we could go through the rest of the banking institutions, but I don't want to bore people. What did you think about this news here? And how do you feel about 2025? We've got all the dots connecting. We've got banks able to custody crypto. ISO protocols are rolling out in full effect in March. And now it appears that the bull market four-year cycle is correlating perfectly to all this custody news. What's it mean to you, Tony? This is huge news. Um, and it's really flying under the radar. I'm not seeing big headlines around it, but maybe it's in being engineered that way, right? Uh, the fact that you have these government uh, banking agencies, global, whatever associations you want to call them, are advocating that, hey, we're not going to stop you from holding. We're going to cap it, sure, and eventually they could raise that cap. But they're green lighting that you can hold crypto. Banks can hold crypto. Just think about that for a second. Just think about that. You can put it on your balance sheet banks. And I believe eventually... Um, and it's just my opinion, central banks will hold Bitcoin and possibly some other cryptos as reserves as, as the regulations come in place. I don't think they're going to do it before the regulations, um, but you're seeing the start of it, right? Here is some breadcrumbs leading to the trail of full adoption. And uh, I'm excited about this. And I think folks need to really you know, go past the noise and the Sam Bankman frees and, and the FTX and just look at what is being what is happening and what's being adopted. So Tony, Tony, oh, go ahead, Johnny. Tony, I could not agree with you more. I literally said that on the show yesterday that I thought this news was by far the largest, most significant news in crypto space in the two years I've been here. That is by, because what that just did, that news just, the basically, that was like the Pope, right? The central banks, they run everything. They just literally gave the blessing to all banks. They legitimized. That's right. Positive They literally legitimized crypto with one stroke of the pen yesterday, in my opinion. I'm so glad to hear you say that, too, because that was exactly my feeling. This is literally the day crypto was born, in my opinion. Do what they do, not what they say, Johnny Crypto. And I think that's the theme here. But what's really exciting about this tier one capital allocation is exactly what Tony mentioned uh, just five minutes ago, where you said they're giving cryptocurrency the validation that it's not only a serious asset class, but they need to be hedging themselves in this market. And in 2018, when they ran simulated studies, some studies found that they would need to increase their rates 
up to 10% of tier one allocation in order to get themselves up, you know, sufficient exposure into the cryptocurrency market. Gonzo, I'd love to get some thoughts from you. And then we're going to talk about Visa and Ethereum opening up the world of payments for people who are unbanked. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have already kind of commented on it, but it, I mean, you think about where the BIS, where it started, right? Where the crypto is a scam, all it fell into all those different narratives. And then over the last few years, it's kind of transitioned and kind of changed this narrative where, you know, crypto is bad, but not blockchain. And then the CBDC thing. And then now we're kind of evolving into this where they went from one to 2%. So yeah, it's definitely a big deal. And if you look at where the BIS started and where they're going now, um, I think the future is real bright for crypto. Thank you, Gonzo. And we got 251 live listeners out there. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I hate doing that to you, Gonzo, but I get stuck on the other screen every once in a while. Visa announced some major payment options this week as Visa dreams up to let you pay auto paid bills from your crypto wallet. And the reason this is so exciting is because it's actually built on Ethereum. So we know that the Ethereum Alliance is going to be very prominent over the next couple of decades. JP Morgan, Visa, MasterCard, this is all coming to fruition. Visa proposes automatic payments using Ethereum's Layer 2 system called Starnet. Payments processor Visa recently proposed a system known as an account abstraction that uses smart contracts to enable automated programmable payments on Ethereum. So there's a lot of technical details within this article, but I, what I thought was most important is the breaking down of the use case that they have in the last paragraph. So Tony, I'm going to come to you first here, but it says when a user visits a merchant's website and agrees to allow for automated payments, the auto payments contract address is added to the user's list. The merchant could then trigger a payment by calling in charge function of the auto paid contract, causing the user's account to initiate a payment that would be valid through its presence allowed on that list. So this is really exciting. It's going to automate the entire payments industry. And anybody who knows about Visa and MasterCard knows they have a global monopoly on payments. They're getting 2 to 3% of every credit card swipe on the, on the planet. And this is just an upgrade to that system. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Number one, what do you think about Visa choosing Ethereum? And number two, when do you believe this goes mainstream? Yeah, it's it's amazing what's happening. These All these credit card companies are in competition to adopt crypto. Um, I remember interviewing the folks at Paxos and they partner with MasterCard. Um, so they're doing stuff with MasterCard. Uh, American Express is doing their own thing. They're a partner of Ripple as well. So Visa, of course, trying to grab market share. Everybody's in a horse race here to adopt and improve their uh, efficiency, the, the transaction costs, eliminate middlemen where possible. So Ethereum, um, <clears throat> while it may not be the fastest or the obviously not the cheapest, right? It has the first mover advantage when it comes to smart contract technology. And I know within the crypto uh, investor community, not a lot of people are really concerned about uh, smart contracts because they're just primarily focused on the tokens. But smart contracts are the future. Every contract will be on the blockchain in every industry. It's coming. And it's going to start maybe in real estate and maybe, you know, with some of these other industries where uh, contracts are a big part of, you know, the daily business mechanism. But this is big, guys. And I just think back, you know, I wish I think David Schwartz and the guys at Ripple, you know, they talked about Codius and stuff and they wish uh, they had done things a bit differently and went the smart contract route. Because look at the adoption Ethereum is getting. It has the first mover advantage. It has the validation because of um, the adoption and all the different nodes and validators and so forth. And also big investors with JP Morgan behind consensus and so forth. And I think, guys, we're only a couple of years away from these things being you know, in the economy, in the whole uh, business process. So really great things being built here. 
Tony, really quick, if somebody didn't understand what a smart contract was, can you prepare, can you just explain it to me as if I have no experience in the market? Why are people going to use smart contracts? Well, it uh, eliminates a lot of the, well, it takes us to that trustless world, right? Where we can transact um, and see things in a more transparent way. So you don't have to ha trust a centralized middleman. Um, you, you can have a lot of processes done on the web, like, for example, uh, Proppy which is a real estate uh, blockchain company. I can buy a house in the Bahamas from New Jersey where I'm at. And that's because of smart contract technology where it sets the, the guardrails, the security and all these things for transactions to be done. And we can uh, make sure it allows that, you know, you can't do any fraud and things along those lines. And I probably butchered that, but uh, just in a nutshell. Hey, that, that suffice for me. And we got 274 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Tony Edwards in the building. But Gonzo, I'm going right to you on this next detail because in this article, I learned something pretty interesting. There are two types of accounts built on the Ethereum network, ex externally owned accounts, which are controlled by private keys and contract accounts, which are essentially smart contracts, which is what Tony's hinting to. EOAs can initiate transactions, but smart contracts cannot. By using this new accounting mechanism, it's possible to allow a smart contract on behalf of an EOA to initiate a transaction. So that's the biggest detail. I know this is a little bit of technical talk. A lot of people don't like that stuff. But Gonzo, what's it mean to you, my friend? So it's the evolution of smart contracts, right? And, that, and that's what gets me really excited. It's the evolution of the technology. Um, and in e-commerce is, is a big deal in Web 2 and is going to be a big deal in Web 3, right? Um, and so when you talk about what, what they're talking about is kind of like subscription based, right? So right now in web two, you have to use a third party to set up all these kind of reoccurring payments. And so what these guys are doing is they're basically trying to develop a smart contract that cuts out that middleman. So it's on the Ethereum layer Starknet, right? It's a layer two solutions. That's why we're so big on different layer two solutions for Ethereum, but basically creating a wallet and it's able to use a smart contract to do the reoccurring payments. There was a story that um, uh, uh, TechPath did, uh, Paul Brown, or Paul, uh, I can't think of his last name. But anyways, and he, he showed a survey where 35% of this company did a survey and 35% of people use reoccurring payments, right? And I think that's going to change. I think as the baby boomers die out because they're always kind of, um, they don't trust technology and you get the younger generations getting older and starting to set up their accounts and how they pay their bills. I think that statistic is going to grow even larger. Um, and then it just comes into play with the web three because you're cutting out the middlemen and these guys can deal directly with you. You can roll in all kinds of things too, when it comes about subscription based things. I mean, think about NFTs, right? Like we think about NFTs as, as utilities and the photos and all that, but think about a subscription based NFT to where, um, that you don't have to cancel your subscription. Now you own that subscription. And when you're done with it, you can sell it off to somebody else using NFT technology. So um, I think sky's the limit uh, on where we can go with this kind of stuff. You know, when you think about this, this really speaks to, we talked about this a long time ago, um, that sometimes the best technology doesn't always get adopt, um, win because of the first mover advantage. And this is the classic example of that, because this is, this is really a miss a big miss for Cardano, right? Because they're better technology, faster, uh, more efficient, lower cost, smart contract platform. But yet Ethereum won because Ethereum was already there. And this is just like that example. Because I was actually shocked, to be honest with you, it was surprising to me to see you know them using such an inefficient system 
but I get it. It's the main one out there, and they want to get things rolling. It won't be surprising to me someday if they upgrade and switch to a different, you know, more efficient blockchain. But I guess it's gonna it's gonna happen. And I think that's what's exciting is we've been saying all along on this show. This is what's going to happen. You want to be looking and investing in the rails. And there's no question in my mind, Ethereum, we've been saying it. Ethereum's not going away. It's going to find ways to get efficient. It's going to be in. It's going to coexist with other smart chain, uh, smart contract platforms. It's just, to me, it's a miss for Cardano and, and other smart contract platforms that are out there. We'll see what happens in the long run. And Johnny, and if you hear like what Vitalik has been talking about recently and what their focus is, it's in and, and where they were like five years ago with scaling solutions, whether it's ZK EVM or Optimistic um, EVM. And I know that's just like a bunch of gibberish, but it's basically like the scaling solutions for Ethereum and the investment in that technology. And that's why I feel like sometimes people sleep on Ethereum because they think, oh, Ethereum's clunky. You know, they just moved to proof of stake and stuff. But these guys are developing the tech to get where they want to go. And it's going to be all through these different layer twos and scaling solutions. You're, you're hundred percent right. The layer twos are what's going to save Ethereum. And frankly, that's why I continue to dollar cost average into Ethereum. It's here to stay guys. It ain't going away. And I think, I think someday, you know, everyone talks about XRP being 10,000. I think Ethereum is going to be 10,000 way before XRP ever gets to 10,000. And a quick note. Um, I don't know if, some, some of you may have seen, but the Ethereum virtual machine is being used by Flare, even other blockchains as well. So um, it has a pretty solid solution out, uh, you know, in the market. And that's one of the greatest advantages to using Flare, right? Is that you're able to incorporate Ethereum virtual machine contracts into the Flare network and get all those capabilities. But Johnny, you brought up something really interesting about Cardano is that Cardano seems to be getting left behind. Well, they were also left behind in the 2023 crypto market outlook report done by Coinbase Institutional. Charles Hodgkinson took to Twitter once again to say not a single mention of Cardano. Pretty low, pretty sad. Honestly, I expected better. Tony, we had a great conversation about it before the show. Why do you believe Cardano continues to be left off these types of lists? Uh, so two things. One, um, it, it the, the report from Coinbase primarily focused on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I don't know if the other aspect to that is the security versus non-security uh, situation because this is for their institutional investors. Um, that could be part of it. Or, you know, they didn't want to go down the full list of all the altcoins. Maybe it's just simply that, but hard to tell. But I think those those are two scenarios. You know what also was left off? <laughs> Charles talking about XRP, you know, <laughs> anything about it. You know, it, it, yeah, I think Tony's right on this one. I, I think they left a lot of altcoins out of this um, this document for the main reason that a lot of them could be securities and stuff. So I'm not so sure. You know, they're singling out Charles per se. Uh, the reality is, you know, Cardano does have a good solution. It's just taking long to get there. And we'll see in the long run where they are. But don't forget, they were the number one chosen developer platform in GitHub in 2021. That means there are developers using their technology and developing applications and stuff out there that eventually are going to hit the market. And, and, you know, who knows if one of those becomes the next big thing. Hard to say. So we'll have to wait and see how the whole thing plays out. And if we don't have any comments on that topic, we got some great comments here because Coinbase could be one of the most undervalued assets in the market today. We're going to break down a couple of reasons why. So Coinbase raised money in 2018 at an $8 billion evaluation. In 2022, it's currently trading at a $9 billion evaluation. Meanwhile, their revenue is up nearly 6x from $520 million to $3.3 billion in 2022. Their users are up 5x from $20 million to over 100, And their total assets on the platform are up 10x from $11 billion to $101 billion. And Tony, immediately when I saw this tweet, I thought about how just last month, Kathy Woods was accumulating Coinbase stock 
saying it was one of the most undervalued assets in the stock market. Now, I'd like to apply that to all assets, but what do you think about Coinbase stock? Does this news, does it change your perspective at all? I am very bullish on coin. I've been accumulating, not financial or investment advice. Um, I think they have a lot of advantages just because of how the market is shaping up in, in a sense of regulatory uh, framework and so forth. They're a public company. They've been working with the SEC already in the US government. They've already gotten some level of clearance to go public, right? Um, and they have the brand and uh, they're getting chosen by big players. Like they partner with BlackRock. That's a big endorsement. BlackRock saying, hey, we're going to use you to help process our crypto trading and our custody. And there's a lot of other institutions that are also using Coinbase custody. So um, the stock definitely uh, undervalued right now. And look, it's everything is down, right? We are in a macro bear market. Um, I personally am accumulating. And if they're going to hold a lot of the crypto for institutions within the United States and possibly globally, and they're partnered with some of the biggest in the world, like BlackRock, I'm going to take that bet. And you can apply that to the stablecoin argument as well, Johnny Crypto. But when I saw the price of Coinbase this morning, I immediately thought about Jim Cramer's tweet from 12 months ago saying he was ready for Coinbase to reach $475. Little did we know he was talking about in 2025. What does this news mean to you, Johnny? Well, it means to me we all know where Jim Cramer is, right? Jim Cramer's on the rat snake weasel list. We got him really, really close to the bottom of the rat snake weasel list. We know he's there. And that basically means you do the opposite of what Jim says. And, yeah, when Jim's telling you to get in, you know it's time to get out. When Jim is telling you to get out, you know it's time to get in. And, yeah, Coinbase is kind of near the bottom. I have one of that that one in, in Meta or Facebook, whatever you want to call them. Both of those have been on my radar for accumulating as well uh, in terms from a stock play perspective. I like both of those. I think Meta for the, for the Metaverse, I think they're going to own, own that in the future because uh, they have such a huge – amount of money to go with and i think coinbase tony's right you know coinbase right now they're the only one public you can't buy right now the other three kraken uh bit uh uphold in in well ripple but that's completely different not exchange but you can't buy those unless you you know are a, a what do you call in the credit investor you can go to link to click on the link below i think this is a cheap plug down there but we have link to link but um you can buy that's the only way you can get access to something like a kraken or something like an uphold right now is you have to go through private uh, private investments. So it makes sense if you're into the crypto space. And we know Coinbase is already way ahead. And as you guys rightfully said, BlackRock. Okay, listen, guys. BlackRock runs the world. They own everything. $10 trillion worth of assets. If BlackRock's investing into them, it isn't going to fail. Most likely not. And that's why I like Coinbase uh, as well as something that I'm looking to accumulate. But guys. Don't go out there and buy it because we're talking about, okay? Everyone's going to blame us. Oh, I got this. I lost money. No, no, no. Do your home homework. Do your own research. We're not financial advisors. This is not financial advice. And don't do what we do. You have to be able to do what you're able to afford to lose. And then if you lose, guess what? Blame yourself just the way we blame ourselves when we make bad investments because there's nobody else to blame if you don't do your homework. Awesome, guys. And with that being said, we got some groundbreaking news from Brad Garlinghouse this week. He was criticizing Gary Gensler after the FTX collapse, stating that if he didn't see it coming, it's his fault. So Brad Garlinghouse tweeted this 100%. It's ridiculous and frankly shameful that Chair Gary Gensler was touted as the SEC's enforcement actions as the top cop on the beat. Yet he met with Sam Bankman-Fried multiple times and was caught completely flat-footed when the alleged fraud finally came to light. And I think this is a great example of how regulation doesn't solve the problems within this industry. Tony, I'd love to give you the open floor and speak to it here. What do you think about Brad's statements against Gary? 
He's spot on. It's a complete failure by Gary Genser, not only the SEC, but the CFTC. They were also meeting with FTX, and none of them did their due diligence here. So Gary Genser, though, is the one walking around with his chest out saying, I'm the cop on the beat. I'm going to get these exchanges and all these folks in line, while Sam beckman fried is committing major fraud. And Gary, whether he knew about it or he didn't, I don't know, but uh, we know that he, they were working on some sort of framework to give FTX a pass while they were going to, of course, um, go after the other exchanges. And I think that's one of the reasons CZ was so upset uh, at Sam Bankman-Fried because he was working the political machine in D.C. to try to get things in favor of FTX. But a complete, utter failure by Gary Genser. And uh, I recently interviewed Congressman Heisinga, Bill Heisinga, who heads up the committee uh, the, uh, which will over, which oversees the SEC. And they're planning to bring him in to answer questions because he hasn't appeared before Congress in a long time. He's been sending the director of enforcement and other people. So they're going to bring him out of his uh, closet or his hole or whatever he's, he's at to, to answer some questions. But complete failure on Gary Genso's part. I call it a lair. Johnny Crypto, do you have any comments there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, no, no surprise there. But so Abs, I ran a poll um yesterday and i gotta share with you guys so uh here let me just actually share it with you i was actually a little bit well i guess i'm not surprised by it but you know we always talked about the top of our rat snake weasel index indicators being you know either kramer or uh or, or gensler and so if you look at the poll here <laughs> it wasn't even close <laughs> it wasn't even close who should be the top of the rat snake weasel list it's like it's like the middle finger right there looking at it. but gensler obviously uh, you know, wins wins this one hands down, no surprise. I mean, obviously, people are extremely frustrated with the fact that he's supposed to be, you know, the police of this thing, right? You're you're supposed to be protecting the consumer. How often does he talk about? Oh, it's all about consumer protection, consumer protection, and then you're meeting with the guy that's the biggest fraud of the entire space and takes the whole damn thing down, you know? And so he's going to go in front of Congress, like Tony said, right? And he's going to get drilled. But the problem is. Like Congress is like a dog with no teeth. All right. They're just going to come out and they're going to bark, bark, bark. And then nothing's going to happen. He's going to keep his job. I think we were saying like for him to lose his job. What was it? Tony has to get impeached. And he's right. So, yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask Tony about. If Tony wants to we'll talk about that real quick, about what Congressman Heisman uh, uh, said about Gary Gensler and if he can be removed, what that kind of process looks like. Because, like, you know, you, you hear, like, uh, Ben Armstrong has been on the show before. He talks about, like, hey, Gary Gensler's days are numbered. And, and I didn't even really know what that process looks like. And then I watched your interview and hearing him talk about it. So can you share that with people so that they kind of understand where they're at? Sure. So I straight up asked Congressman Heisinga, how can Gary Gensler be removed from office? Voted out, fired. And he's like, he can't. He, the only way is being impeached. It's almost like he's a in a presidential <laughs> type of situation where you can't just fire him uh, because he's appointed by the president. Um, so it's a very interesting situation. However, our public outcry calling up our representatives can force him to resign. Now, of course, that's a decision he has to make. But if we drum up enough noise, like we did with the infrastructure bill and so forth, it could get the attention of a lot of members of Congress. And uh, we've seen criticism come from Democrats as well, not just Republicans. Richie Torres sent a really uh, you know, crazy letter to uh, Gary Genser about his actions and so forth. And the other thing, too, is that the 
with the Republicans controlling the House and those who are part of the committee that oversees the SEC, Congressman Huizinga said they can control the budget, and that is stopping his funding or saying he can only use the funding for X and, and not Y. So he, Gary's been asking for more money. We saw that this year, right? He wants more billions of dollars of funding, and uh, they can control that. So that can help put him in, put him or put a leash on him uh, as far as what he can and can't do. You know, those are good points, Tony. They can they can basically, you know, crimp his peanuts there a little bit, right? And, you know, kind of squeeze the purse a bit. But unfortunately, he'll still be in power and still be the guy that's that's doing it. But certainly they can clip it, clip it and make it a little more difficult for him and maybe kind of almost like force him out if the budget's so tight and he can't do nothing. Maybe he'll leave or the president has to unappoint. I think the president can remove him since the president appoints him. I think that's the exactly. only other way. I think it's the only So unless it's big enough. You know, and you're right. If the outcry is large enough and there is some excruciating evidence that links him to FTX and whatever, then maybe, maybe then, although, you know, the president can't even walk up steps. I can't imagine he's going to be <laughs> remember that even he probably forgot he appointed him. Right. So who, who knows where that whole thing is going to go. And Tony, just to put a nice bow on this conversation, we had our friend Mark Yusko come on the show last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago at this point. And what he broke down for us was that uh, Sam Begman, Fried and Carolina were considered useful idiots they actually people like gary genzer coordinated an attack to bring in crypto regulation and we can go down the conspiracy rabbit hole but i want to stick with what we know as facts a lot of politicians took political donations from sam bankman fried and even the federal reserve took an 11 million dollar donation in order to fund a private bank so the largest players on the planet were fooled by this guy or they knew what was taking place behind the scenes i'd love to hear your narrative yeah look money uh, really blinds people sometimes, right? Uh, look, Sam is not a dumb guy, um, but he doesn't know how to run a business. He's great at trading, doesn't know how to run a business. And he, a lot of, he had a lot of capital. We know a lot of that capital came from leverage on the FTT token. And he was throwing that capital everywhere in DC. So he's coming in, you know, I was told by the folks at the Blockchain Association, he was there more than any other crypto CEO. He was walking the halls, they often saw him. So he was there in person, he's giving a lot of donations. So no, I think everybody gave him the benefit of the doubt. And uh, I, I think, you know, with his meetings with the CFTC and SEC, I think they were cooking up some stuff, as mentioned before, to have FTX get the regulatory clarity they needed and also get that free pass where the SEC wasn't going to come after them, but they were going to go after maybe competitors like Binance and so forth. So I think there's some smoke here. You know, how much uh, is in the fire? I don't know. But clearly, um, these folks were blinded by the money. Thank you, guys. And we're going to show you the smartest way to track your cryptocurrency. But Johnny, I know you had some quick comments and then we'll let that ad play. Yeah, I was just gonna say, whenever you're handing out free money, there's no reason, there's no surprise that they were Congress is letting him walk up and down the hallways. He's like, he's like, he's like Santa Claus, right? He's handing out cash, cha-ching over here, cha-ching over here. He was just throwing out, spitting out money. What's sad about that whole thing, though, Tony, is that if you think about it, the creation of that cash was fake. Yep. It was like the Federal right? He just he created an FTT coin which had no backing, and then trans, you know, transferred it into. USDT and we know the whole Amada thing and how he leveraged fake money. He literally fake. I mean, I mean, literally, this napkin was worth more money than FTT coins. Like literally, yeah. no different. There's literally no different, right? 
It's so sad that that's even allowed. Well, the money that he got on collateral, the assets he got on collateral, that was real. The collateral was not But real. the collateral is my point. <laughs> yeah. The FTT was the collateral. It was just as good. This napkin's worth more than the FTT because I could actually do something with it. You know what I mean? So the reality is he literally created money out of thin air. That's what the Federal Reserve does. You, you, that, there has to be regulation where that stuff cannot happen or this industry is, is never going to get out of where it is. It's always good. You know, what do we say all the time right here? Here it is. I got it right now, right? This is what they want you to know. This is the narrative they're going to tell you. Crypto's bad. This is where they want us going, right? So we have to have regulation that prevents that from happening. So otherwise, we're all going to be stuck on a CBDC, and we all know the downfall of that. But you're, at, you're right, Abs. I think it's time to learn about the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for early access for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched this fall. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Johnny Crypto, it is the smartest way to track your cryptocurrency. And when you're talking about creating an exit strategy, XRP could be one of those tokens that you're going to need an exit strategy to execute on. We got some groundbreaking news this morning as MoneyGram has launched a partnership in Brazil with an official Ripple partner. And anybody who remembers MoneyGram and Ripple's previous partnership, they canceled it after the SEC lawsuit because nobody knew what was going to happen with regulation. Now we've got MoneyGram officially partnering in Brazil and using RippleNet's product for on-demand liquidity. They've developed a partnership with Ripple partner TravelX, Ripple's major XRP ODL partner with the Bank of Brazil. MoneyGram and Ripple did say they are committed to revisiting our relationship in the future. And this is pretty exciting, Tony. I'd love to hear what it means for you. And then we're going to dive into the Bill Gates connections to Ripple XRP. Yeah, I mean, this is some great news. Uh, the fact that MoneyGram is coming back around, uh, obviously one of the largest payment companies out there. And they've been doing a lot of testing with crypto. Um, they issued uh, USDC on the Stellar blockchain. And well, I shouldn't say they issued, but they've been using USDC via the Stellar blockchain to their app. So if they're going to work with Ripple again or Ripple Partners, that's really great news. I think to your point, the SEC lawsuit put a damper on things. Uh, and I can imagine as a company like MoneyGram, yeah, you want to distance yourself. From that situation even though uh it's not ripple's fault it's just hey look this is the situation it is what it is let's take a break and it looks like and this is like another breadcrumb as to it looks like ripple is coming out of this victorious um but it is in brazil so it's not in the us but uh, uh the fact that they're coming around again i think it's really great news yeah just building on that i think this is huge validation for ripple and their technology that they went with them, dropped them, went to XLM, right? Their partners were stellar. And yet, the, you know, and I don't know if this MoneyGram is owned by the same people in the U.S., but the fact that they're not going to stellar and they're going to Ripple should tell you something right there in terms of the technology. It's actually bad news for stellar and exciting news for Ripple, to be honest with you. 
And Tony, it reminds me of the article we saw a couple of weeks ago where Bank of America officially announced that after the Ripple versus SEC lawsuit, they would be comfortable leveraging RippleNet for on-demand liquidity. And when somebody like Bank of America starts leveraging that technology, any large bank that's using the old traditional system, charging 9%, 17% for cross-border payments, they're going to be left behind. There's going to be no reason to use that old money system. We got 296 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're about to get into the news that everybody came for as we found a brand new connection between Bill Gates and Ripple XRP. So here's a really interesting connection because Modulute, which is Bill Gates' company and a partner of Ripple, shared a slide that showed the new payments networks that will sit atop of existing networks. Now we've got names such as Visa, Swift, and MasterCard in this group, but we've also got some of our favorites as Ripple, Stellar, and CeeLo are also set to be sitting atop of existing networks. Tony, we only got you for a couple of minutes. Floor is yours, my friend. How do you feel about these connections? Man, it just shows the paradigm shift that's taking place. Uh, big changes, big disruptions are happening. And these legacy institutions such as SWIFT, such as your Visa and MasterCard are all jumping on board. And they're going to have to because it's it's their, their blockbuster moment is here, right? Either you adopt the in the whole Netflix blockbuster dichotomy, uh, adopt the Internet, you know, get on board with the new tech or you're going to get left behind. And I think we're seeing that, and obviously the Bill Gates Foundation and Mojo Loop and so forth, they're facilitating a lot of um, infrastructure for micropayments and payments to developing countries and, and many countries across Africa. So really just, once again, shows the paradigm shift. It's it's happening, guys. It's happening. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years, but this is where you can position yourself uh, to you know, be, be on the tail end of that where valuations are up and we have a world running on blockchain. And Gonzo, for anyone who doesn't know, Ripple and Bill Gates Foundation Modulube are both members of the World Economic Forum. And I read a really interesting article where, talking about how they're transforming payments in just a couple of years. You're going to clock into work at your office job and you're going to have what's called a drip account where you are paid by the second direct deposit into your bank account. That way, when you leave work that day, you have access to the money you earn waiting till Friday for your paycheck. It's going to be a thing of the past, but Gonzo, I'd love to hear, what do you feel about these connections? Um, I think it's the, you know, the evolution of the financial system. You know, I think we've all been talking about it, Tony, you know, coach JV has been talking about this for the last couple of years, how they're moving us into a new financial system. And this is just the evidence of it. Right. Uh, so when you hear people that say that um, there's no use case for blockchain or why do you need to use blockchain or it's a scam or whatever they come up with, if these companies, uh, if it was such a scam, why are these companies investing into these payment rails, right? If this is not the future, then why would they be investing in it? And so, like Tony said, this is a huge opportunity for us to get in before everyone else because they're kind of late to the party. They're playing catch up. And I think a lot of the Ripple lawsuit had something to do with letting them catch up, right? And so we got in there early. And I think it's the first time in history where the retail investor was able to kind of front run um, the, the, whether it's the legacy financial system or the venture capital, whatever those guys are, um, this is the first time we've been able to, to front run it. And it's a great opportunity. Thank you, Gonzo. And you John, know, one of the things I feel is unique is you can speak to this a little bit in the early two thousands, investment opportunities like this were passed in co private conversations on wall street, but the internet has given people like us access to this information. And Gonzo brought up something fascinating. It might be the first time in history where people like us not only have access to this information, but have the investment mechanisms to take advantage of the information that we're learning. I'd love for you to speak to that, Johnny. 
you're you're 100% right. People are way more educated nowadays because of the fact that we have access to so much goddamn information that we can't even you know, we can't even process it. You you can't even process it all because there's so much of it, right? But the reality is it does for those who can focus and are disciplined and can go do the research like we all try to do here. Um, you can get an advantage and you can get an understanding of what's going on. And the reality is there's about 5% of the world that's doing that. There's about 5% of us in crypto, probably one or 2% that are actually doing real research. Uh, the rest of the world has no freaking clue what's happening. But for those 5%, it's a huge competitive advantage to us to be able to have access to all the information. When I look at that picture, though, you know what I see? I see what's not on that picture. Something's got to make all those things talk together at some point. And that's, that's got to be quant network. Oh, there you go, baby. <laughs> You got to be able to look for, you got to be able to look to see what's missing when you're looking at stuff like that. But because we do our research and our homework, you know, we know that things like that, we know that something's got to be, again, TCPIP in 1997, right? You need something to bring all the email systems together, right? So you got Flare too, right? Doesn't, you know, you got Flare that can, can it be used to connect different blockchains also? I don't think to the extent like Quant can, um, uh, you know, with the overledger. But, you know, there's going to definitely be things out there. There's Chainlink. There's Quant. Flare is going to try to. But I think Quant's so far in advance. Uh, but to me, you need something that drives all these payment systems and all the businesses and everything talking together. And to me, like something like Quant becomes more important when you're seeing activity like this happening, in my opinion. Thank you, guys. And we got 295 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Tony Edward, I know you got to run, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this last comment here. As I was doing a little bit of research on Modulute, we found that right now, 10% of the world's population lives on less than $1.90 per day. And I found that to be really interesting. So just to close it out for today, thank you for making time for us. How do you feel about this news? And is there anything you'd want to tell our listeners, maybe where they can find you? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so, you know, this technology is going to help solve a lot of problems in the world and help uh, bank the unbank. And I know that's a statement that's been used by some of the big uh, firms and and uh, these associations and so forth. But it's really going to help a lot of people and bring the world together. Um, yes, there are some things that we have to be careful with, like CBDCs and maintaining our right to privacy and so forth. But uh, we're going to a a new economy, a new world. And I think a lot more people are going to benefit from it, um, which I'm really excited about. And, and, you know, some countries and some parts of the world have been left behind. If you go there, they don't have the infrastructure. Well, crypto blockchain will help bring that infrastructure. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, folks can find me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, Thinking Crypto Podcast. Um, yeah, re really fun, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Always excited to have you, Tony. Thank you for making time for us this morning. And hopefully we'll be connecting again very, very soon. But Johnny, I'd love to kick it to you for this next topic because we've got 1.7 billion unbanked people on the planet today. And Modulup and Ripple are working to bring those people into our financial system. we got a bunch of great news prepared for our listeners. But just to close it out on this topic, what do you think about this news? First of all, 10% of the world is living on less than $1.90 a day. How is that even possible? Well, because most of us here in the U.S., and in other, you know, first world countries are, are spoiled. Well, you don't understand. People don't get it. Most people never leave the country, so they don't know what it's like. I've traveled around the world. I've been to China, Asia, Taiwan. I've been everywhere, and I've seen different lifestyles. And, you know, people bash and make fun of this country and say it's terrible. It's the worst country to live in. They don't have a freaking clue. You leave this country, and you go to some of the third world countries I've been. When you come back, when I get off the plane, you know what the first thing I do is? I kiss the freaking ground. 
People don't <laughs> no, no, you laugh. People don't realize how great we have it here in this country. You don't know what you don't know until you, you know, coach always says this, right? You don't know what it's like to be poor unless you've been poor. It's to say, or, or in any scenario, you don't know what it's like to be that, whatever that scenario is, unless you've been in that scenario. And so abs a dollar 90. Yes, people are living off a dollar ninety a day. How sad is that, right? And so that's why unbanking them, giving them the ability to do these things. Why do you think Charles is focusing on Africa? Because there's a huge market there that's waiting to be tapped. And and I think that that's what Modulup and those things are trying to do is tap those those markets and bring those people the ability to, to be able to have access to cash quicker, faster, more efficiently. I think it's a great thing. And more importantly, Donnie, that's going to allow Bill Gates to get a fraction of each one of those transactions and put it right back into his pocket, my friend. So as much as it's about the humanitarian narrative, there's always a dollar to be made in the background. But Gonzo, I'd love to get some closing thoughts on this topic. 1.7 billion people don't have a bank account and 10% of the global population lives on less than $2 a day. That's fascinating news to me. What's What's it mean to you, Gonzo? I think, you know, Johnny is spot on there. Like if you've ever traveled and like, like him, I, I've been to other places too. My, par- uh, my parents are from Nicaragua. And when you go down there, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty there, but like, it depends on when you want to look at, yeah, it's going to, it's going to bring resources to them. But like Johnny was saying, they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're doing it because they want all the money, right? We think about like the U S everyone has a bank account. Well, most of the world doesn't, right? And so what they're trying to do is access all of that liquidity and put it into the system so they can gain from it. Now, if other people can gain from it too, then it's a great thing, but it's all the way you look at it, right? Thank you, Gonzo. And we're about to play a fascinating clip from Gary Gensler this morning because Gary Gensler is indirectly talking about distributed ledger technology. Very short 10-second clip here. We're going right back to you, Gonzo. Here we go. Instead of SWIFT, which is just a messaging system, that the banks have to somehow pre-fund in Nostra accounts. I hope I didn't lose too many. So he's indirectly talking about how the banks are going to be removing Nostro Vostro accounts. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, if I wanted to send a million dollars to Gonzo and he was sitting in London and I'm in the United States, there needs to be a million dollars in both locations. What a Nostro Vostro account, by removing that, it allows you to double the liquidity in the system. So for every dollar that's floating around in our economy, there needs to be $2 sitting at one bank in London, one bank in the United States, using a digital currency frees up trillions of dollars in liquidity. And that's what Gary Gensler was referencing here. What do you think about that, Gonzo? Yeah, I mean, you could tell they knew they knew it was coming. And that's why I talk about like, that's what, what that's what that whole lawsuit with Ripple was, is to, you know, to, to slow the system down so that they could catch up. I, I mean, we talked about this earlier with Gary Gensler. It's been a joke. If you think about what his feather in the cap was this year, it was Kim Kardashian, right? That That's what he brought out in front of the mainstream media. Like, hey, look at me. I'm doing my job. They went after Kim Kardashian for whatever lame project that she was promoting while he's meeting with SBF and FTX is pulling off, along with Alameda Research, the biggest scam in history that we've ever seen, right? And the even the crazier part is this. Even on, on the cases that they have brought up, whether it was BlockFi, Kik, um, now Library, did we get any clarity after that, right? After BlockFi paid those fines, did we get any more clarity on, you know, what's a security and how things should be done? No, they just started collecting the money on the fine. If you look at um, the bankruptcy thing, BlockFi is the, um, the the number two creditor owed is the SEC in that bankruptcy. And so it's just wild. So even when he's brought up these cases and he sued these companies and they've won, 
we haven't gotten any more clarity that we've needed so that the rest of the market can adjust to it. Johnny, you got to have some comments there. You pointed out some fascinating information that the SEC is the second largest creditor owed in the BlockFi bankruptcy. And Brad Garlinghouse actually commented on this saying, everyone should ask Gary Gensler in the SEC, what changed when BlockFi agreed to and paid $70 million of the $100 million fine imposed by Gary Gensler? Gonzo just said it right there. Nothing happened except Gary Gensler got paid. What do you think, Johnny? That's exactly right. That's why these settlements, you know, people think you're going to get clarity. You don't really get clarity other than if you're talking about the exact same scenario in most cases, but you really need a court case or ruling to set what's called precedent. And we're probably not going to get that in the Ripple lawsuit because I don't think we're going to court. I think it's going to be a settlement and and um, and then you're going to get no clarity. Why? Why? Why would the SEC want? Why would the SEC want clarity? They said and collect $100 million for people. You just have a president, and it's a president that says they can't go do it. Then they lose they lose the ability to collect $100 million. Think about it. That's a cash cow right now. $100 million they got to fight them for. And that's how they get the, the money to operate, by the way, too, from what I was told. as Because that money goes into, like, uh, operational budget type stuff. They can use some of that. So it's very, very interesting to, to if you understand the dynamics of how the whole thing works, there is no damn way in the world they want to pre- they want a ruling on this. The SEC, I would well, just Johnny, what we're officially safe from Kim Kardashian, so your your worries are, have been dispelled after Gary Gensler's theater. We got two. Right. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for protecting us from Kim Kardashian. We had him in the live chat yesterday. I'm searching for Gary Gensler. If you're out there, please comment. We love you, my friend. But we got 296 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Johnny, I thought this was an interesting tweet to close the episode out on. We brought in the fact that between Modulute, MasterCard, all these different organizations, there's going to need to be a current a technology that's connecting these smart contracts. Quant Network seems to be the one. And I'm just going to leave that grain of sand out there. Anybody who wants to do research, go and do your research on Quant Network and check out the connections that are not only in the background, but right in front of your face. We're going to close this show out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Gonzo. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. And thank you to Tony Edward. We got 287 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Next time I'm going to be on this show, I'm coming at you live from Universal Studios. So very excited for that. We're going to close that same out. We always do Warriors. Rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Let's go.